The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control? In this first season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on challenges for businesses right now and practical steps that you can take to overcome them. We've also got some awesome tips from our guests about what they are personally doing to keep their money in check. Finesse Your Money is hosted by me, Janine Wilson. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, more years than I care to say. And I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi, and welcome to Finesse Your Money. Our guest today is Suzanne Farquhar. She is one of the country's leading investment property experts. She's built Cala Property on a proven research methodology called Cala Insights. I'm sure we're going to hear more about her process and building an investment portfolio today. Welcome, Susan. Thanks very much for having me, Janine. It's lovely to be a guest on your podcast. Thanks. It's um, our pleasure to have you here. Now, um, you're the founder and managing director of Cala Property. You've told us offline that, you know, you failed spectacularly when you were young and this led you to analyse and perfect um, Cala Insights. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I, I, my, first, my first investment property, I would have been about 21 or so, um, got started very young and I had about six, six properties by the time I was 25, 26 and I just always believed that property made money. I really had no mentors around it. There was people like me didn't exist back in the 90s. You still had a bank manager and you spoke to your banker and you got most of your intel from there. But honestly, I didn't even think about what I needed to know. I just had the assumption that you make money with property. So I just kept investing and I made all the mistakes that you could make pretty much with every property, (laughs) except for one. So yeah, I bought the wrong properties in the wrong place at the wrong time and just had no real understanding of the financials that you need to really know. How much is a property going to cost to hold? What are the drivers of economic growth that will hopefully, you know, ensure that your property grows in value? I really had no understanding of that whatsoever. So then I had three major life events, um, just one after the other, and I was pretty much on my knees. And I had, I was lucky I had good businesses. So my businesses were producing good enough income, but the properties were costing me an absolute fortune. And I just didn't understand why. And I ended up having to get rid of nearly all of them and, and one by one eventually got rid of all, all of that that I had that I held when I was 26. So anyway, fast forward a couple of years when I started to get back on my feet and I had money to invest again, I knew that property was the right asset class for me. I'm quite risk averse and I don't really, I, I don't know enough about shares to feel confident in investing in shares. And I, I'm also terrified by the idea that you could lose your entire portfolio overnight, which I'm obviously lots of people are experiencing right now. Yes. So, you know, whereas you don't have that same property bounces back quickly and that saying safe as houses is true. People always need a place to live. 
So um, I started looking at what I didn't know and I started putting together just a little bit of information, things like, you know, the economy or infrastructure projects, the unemployment rate, understanding the cash flow on a property, how much it costs for you to hold it, what your income is from the rent, whether you've got council rates or strata fees, insurance costs, all these things I didn't know how to factor in when I was younger, I could now build. And by then I had qualifications in financial planning as well. So I was able to think in a different way and understand risk versus reward, investment opportunity, etc. So I started with about 20 points of research and then started investing again and expanding that and it's now at about 130 points of research that consistently identify the right property in the right place at the right time. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's quite brave and probably at quite a young age to not only make those investments, even though you're a little bit clueless and many people start out that way. I think a little little bit is an understatement to me. That's being very generous. I had no idea. I'm always polite, Susan. (laughs) But, um, you know, just to make that decision to, you know, sell those properties is brave as well because many people I, you know, come into contact with just hang on to those dogs year in, year out, costing them money, damaging their future and, you know, yeah. not understanding. No, I actually did that as well. I hung on to these properties for way too long because I just didn't understand what they were costing me. Mm. Uh, and, I, and to be honest, this was when um, the last couple of properties were when no interest loans came into play and the due diligence was not done on me as a person to lend to. I should not have been lent that much money to invest in because I just I didn't have the income to support the debt and the properties didn't generate the income to support the, the expenses. Yeah. So just even understanding those fundamentals was a big step up from where I was at 21. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. But Janine, I had time on my side, you know, and that's one oh, of the that's that true. a lot of people don't have. And, you know, when you look at risk and reward, you've got to factor in your investment horizon and your timeline. Yeah. I've only got another, you know, a good 10 years in me to, to get this right. If I'd failed now, it would have been really hard. Um, and I actually do have a growing segment of 45 to 55-year-old women um, who, are, you know, have been financially penalised from employment or children or divorce or whole, uh, sickness or after elderly parents. And they're like, I need something to get me through to, you know, for retirement. What, how can you help me? Um, and, you know, I've been able to help people with um, as little as, I think as little as $30,000 in savings or equity and fairly low incomes to invest in property that will perform well over time. So, you know, it's it's a good story in the end, which is great. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that. Um, you've said that you've come from difficult financial times, obviously from a young age, and you've just described some of that to us. How has that helped you um, as you, you know, we find ourselves now in, in tough times? So how, how do you think it's helped you right now um, to manage things? Yeah, look, I think I've, um, I have been extraordinarily self-reliant and resilient from a very young age. I don't know that I've got a whole lot more resilience left in me on the one hand. I don't know that I can handle too much more shocks for me personally. I think if I had another, <laughs> another devastating personal shock, I'm not sure I would recover. <laughs> but as things are now, um, I you know, I'm lucky to be in such a good position. So I've worked incredibly hard my whole life and and have 
been anxious about having enough security for since I was six years old. So I think by, you know, finally being able to create that for myself and for my family. So I've gone into this crisis being really well prepared. And look, that's, that's what you do too, Janine, is to provide certainty through planning because you cannot plan for things like this. Yeah. You know, I often say to my clients, life is the biggest four-letter word there is, and it is relentless. It just keeps coming at you. And that could be, you know, a child with a disability or an illness that is from the main money earner in your, in your, in your household, unemployment. I mean, look at the coronavirus. Who could have ever possibly predicted this? So I have stores of resilience in me that, that A, I have, but have also informed the choices that I make and have remed- have, have allowed me to, to, you know, be able to, I think I'm going to be able to weather this storm fairly well. Mm. So um, one of the things um, that I talk to most of my clients about is having an emergency buffer and what that should look like. And I know over the years, the number of times that people pull faces at me of like, what on earth are you talking about? Why would I need that? Well, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here we are stood here today as, you know, really needing, uh, you know, a substantial emergency buffer. You know, this this has been a, you know, a global event um, yeah. And, you know, people, you know, so many people are affected, you know, unemployment, you know, it's just um, incredible. And I have such um, feeling for how people are suffering right now. So tell us more about Unsung Heroes. What's that? Um, okay. So in, so last year I was featured in a coffee table book, um, 50 Unsung Heroes of Australian Business. And it's a book that showcases excellence and longevity in business and, has a strong focus on companies that give back to the community. Um, And I guess I've got a pretty good story (laughs) uh, in terms of where I've come from, how I've failed spectacularly and, you know, being able to develop something that not only helps me but helps everyone I possibly can. And I'm able to, you know, um, because I I can operate under the Real Estate Act, I don't have to charge my clients for this service, which is means I can reach more and more people, which I, I really I really love. Um, but one of the other things that I'm very passionate about is education, whether it's educate, educating as many people as I can about money and finance. Um, I, write a, I write a column for the Money and Finance magazine. I'm a regular commentator, etc. cetera. Um, I try to put out informative content that is relevant to what people are going through now, um, and I do that through my Facebook page and LinkedIn page. Um, but I, I'm really passionate about education. I get that from my mum. You know, she really believed that education was the only proven way to um, break the cycle of poverty, and that is true. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I support the Children's Education Foundation, and that is about keeping girls in Vietnam, in the poorest areas of Vietnam, who show promise in education, as well as providing a really holistic educational framework for communities in Vietnam from, you know, the understanding what sex trafficking is all about. You know, when that when that man knocks on the door and says, we're going to take your children and educate them, that is not what is going on. Um, giving these children, um, the, the girls in particular, they're, they're all girls actually, they're very, just a couple of yeah. boys here and there, usually when they're in the family of a girl who is being sponsored. 
boys tend not to use their education. They, they, get, they inherit the farm. Girls will right. go out and, and get work. And then better, we found the, the research indicates that in emerging economies, women handle money better than men. Men tend to have more issues with addiction, whereas women tend to be able to invest money in small things very, very safely and wisely for their families. It's outstanding. I mean, in my business, I also support um, various charities through um, B1G1, so buy one, give one. Or, um, oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, I always support literacy programs with Aboriginal children and Aboriginal communities in Australia. And, yeah. I, think, you know, it really does make me feel like it's so worthwhile. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, we're, we're lucky to be in a position to be able to help and I think that's just so important. You know, it, it, we, we don't live in a home. We live in a community. You know, we, it's important. You know, one of my favourite sayings, I've got a few of them, but one of them is a rising tide floats all boats mm. and the more enabled the whole community is, the better it is for the entire economy yeah, um, nationally and globally. So if you could fast forward, say, six months from now, what would the world look like? What are your thoughts on how we'll come out of this current situation? Okay, well, the hope is that we're going to make a V a V-shape type recovery, that we've had this sharp decline and we're going to bounce back really quickly. I think that's probably a very, that's probably the most optimistic view. Uh, I think that we're... Um, yeah, most economists I've spoken to are predicting more of a U-shaped economy where, you know, we, we, we have that sharp decline and we're going to roll out of it. And I think that really does make sense in terms of our, um, you know, slowly going back into the world and into our economies. Mm. Uh, we can, you know, the, the biggest threat to the economy is that we do that too quickly and that we get a second round of infection. Yeah. And so... The time we're, we're all, as, as you know, economists, we're all looking towards um, Asia because they're the first to go into it. They're going to be the first to come out of it. They also operate under different social structures where they are far more conforming to whatever the government tells them to do. So that will pre present different challenges to the Australian economy. Certainly. Um, it's very difficult for us to model this well because we don't have any Australian data sets. Uh, we are going off overseas data sets and they have all had different stimulus packages, different isolation packages, different lockdown, um, not packages, but, but rules. So we don't have any historic Australian data sets to extrapolate, extrapolate meaningful data from. So there is a lot of, um, you know, there's a fair bit of uh, guesswork in this, but I still think that we, are, we have been in a great, a, a great standing going into this our, the Australian economy and, and pretty much all of our markets have gone into this crisis from a very high level. So I think we're, in a, we're well poised to come out of it very well as well. However, I do think that there could be some sectors of the community that are permanently damaged from this. I think that there, it, it's pretty, we, we have all had to pivot very quickly to this online world and this working from home world. And also being far more self-reliant on things where we used to go out and, and engage in services of others. You know, I grew up where, you know, we did home ec and woodwork and metalwork and, you know, I can make anything from a steak to a table to uh, a letterbox, you know, like <laughs> you give me a welder, a hammer, you know, a fry pan, you name it, I can pretty much do it. 
I actually did build a house pretty much, you know, using my bare hands. Um, and this is pre-YouTube, so that was, <laughs> that was tough going. But I think that we, this is a generation that are over, overly reliant on external, external services and also have grown up in families where both parents work and they haven't necessarily been taught those skills. You, I think we now have two generations who are learning how to dye their hair um, you know, do their own own manicures and pedicures, cook, yeah. fix things, and you know, and are, are probably going to go. And we also have an economy that, or a population that is um, heavily indebted in terms of the earnings ratio, and went hardly encouraged to save either. You know, when interest rates are so low and there's no return, we're better off going into debt in assets that perform well in good debt rather than bad debt. But I think that we will start to be far more aware of how much money we were able to save very easily. Uh, and I think we probably will order in, if you have learned how to cook, you will order in less. You may go out less often and have people over to your home if you have a, you know, a, a home that supports that. But certainly, you know, spending $40 every week on getting a new manicure or six-week colouring cut, I, I don't know that people are going to value that as much. Yeah. Um, I think that's why it will be U-shaped because it's not, it's not like turning the tap on and off. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, many people will change their habits over this period of time. And I think, yeah. well, other, to some extent, people will have time to reflect back on, you know, I, I, I've said this before to, to you probably, that, you know, I used to feel like I was getting up and getting dressed in my pinstripe penguin suit and trudging into the city, you know, a three-hour commute there and back every day. And now it's just, you know, it feels so much nicer to be able to work from home, yeah. I'm more productive, I feel much more relaxed and healthy in myself. And, and so I think that there'll be a real shift, as you say, coming back to the, some of those good old home, home values um, and also, you know, coming back to people reassessing, you know, how they live their life and how they communicate with people in their household. I mean, yeah. that's probably for me one of the main things that I'm concerned about because if there were problems in the household before, they're going to probably be bigger now. It could go either way, right? It could go yeah. either way. That's I think right. that that's the other, the other biggest, um, I think another sector of the economy that could be very affected by this is commercial rents. Yes. Uh, I, I think that a lot of businesses will vacate their commercial commercial spaces during this time and that will have, you know, that coupled with the fact that so many companies have now pivoted so successfully and rapidly, they're going to go, well, you know what, we can actually do this online. We've all downloaded the tools and firewalled our systems. You don't have to come in every day. You know, we can have these little group breakaway meetings and if, that mean, if that's better for your mental health, which is, has been increasingly on the radar every year yeah. on year, then I think that's, that's also a really good opportunity, although that's going to take a while. So I think there are some really, some really interesting things that are going to happen after this. I think that this is, um, I, I saw a headline, I didn't actually read the full article, but it was something, someone commenting on Seth Godin, who um, is a marketing guru. And he's first, um, when I first read him in, gosh, in the early 90s, I guess, he was talking about changing the way we did sales so that we foster relationships and we don't, we don't sell anymore we, or we don't hunt, we harvest. 
but he was talking about the importance of grouping according to psychographics, not demographics. And this was, the headline that I read was about the corona generation and how we are going to be thinking in a, and behaving in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's some of the things that we're going to notice. And, I, you know, I think there's also been an enormous opportunity. A lot of, um, you know, while there, there will be declining se sectors, there will also be sectors that didn't exist six, six months ago. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> the choices now for this type of conversation are Skype or Zoom. Um, there, I think there will be a lot of people now getting frustrated with the limitations of whatever te technological platform they're using and creating the ones that, that meet their needs better. Yeah. So that virtual world, I think, will have a rapid spike. But, yeah, I think there are a lot of other areas that, you know, it, it will do exceptionally well, but others that I think will, may never fully recover. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really insightful. You mentioned pivoting the business. Have you pivoted your business since the pandemic started? And how yeah. have you done that? <laughs> yeah, I sure have. Um, I, I used to always insist on people coming into my office for a face-to-face. -face. I'm a very face-to-face -face person. Um, in fact, I struggle to look at the camera because I'm looking at you because that's what I, that's how I get my cues. Um, and so I refused pretty much to do Zoom calls. I refused to, you know, I hate talking on the phone. Uh, I, in fact, I have a phone message bank that says don't leave a message. <laughs> you know, if you want you to get do. in touch with me. <laughs> send a text or send an email, I'll get onto it straight away. So that has changed enormously for me now. I've, I've rung five people today and I normally would ring maybe five people a month. Like I really do not get on the phone unless it's absolutely necessary, except for my, you know, my husband and my daughter and my father and my brother, you know, like my immediate family um, and my employees as well. But um, now I'm looking at this and going, well, I can now reach a whole lot more people a whole lot more effectively and on, the t on their terms. And, you know, I really pride myself on being very client-centric. You know, it's like what is in the best interest of the client? That is how we make decisions with everything that we do. And, you know, this, is, this can be in the best interest of my clients. I could do roadshows to... I was looking at doing a roadshow to Jakarta actually in, in April, which... <laughs> Don't think that's going to happen. Not this April, anyway. No. I'm really wondering that you know, thinking that maybe that's that's a massive expense for me to do a roadshow to Jakarta for uncertain outcomes. You know, maybe this is a better way to do it. So, and I do have a number of overseas Australian clients who work for Deloitte and, P, and PYC and um, you know, the, all of those uh, banks, etc. And I can talk to them better and do more effective presentations than emailing it and then having a chat on the phone saying, okay, we're at page one now and page three and slide four and this is the cash flow. Like I can point and that's been, I, I can see a massive opportunity there for, for Colour Coffee. Yeah, so I think for me, I've been online for some time now. Um, you know, a lot of my business over the last 12 months has been online. And so for me, it was a fairly easy change to make and yeah. you know, I've, been, I've been doing this for quite a few weeks, self-isolating way before it was even proposed to do that. So yeah. I'm feeling pretty comfortable, but there's just, you know, it does open up the world even more. You know, technology yeah. is going to make another leap forward, I think. So yeah, I'm really excited by that, actually. And I'm, I'm, it really surprises me how comfortable I am on Zoom. Like, I really enjoy it. And I think you can, you know, you can increase productivity 
like you, know, you know, I've got a, an expensive office in Martin Place in Sydney, you know, the, one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. Do I really need it? Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually loving all of us working from my home, having my daughter doing her HSC from home. She's loving not being at school and having to deal with all the school politics as well. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I would love if she didn't have to go back to school. So now that the school has had to pivot, Maybe maybe we can all take a, take advantage of that. So yeah, I'm. I, I for me, there's been a lot of benefits, but I also very much appreciate that I'm in. You know, I have enough of everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. really happy that we're all sort of taking a pause. Some are handling it better than others, but I think we'll all look, yeah. come around over the next few months. So, what's been the hardest part for you of starting your business? And you know, what's the best advice you have for people starting a business? You know, in the past six months, I mean, startups right now. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can only imagine that you know they're feeling really nervous and uncomfortable and worried and worried about how they're going to weather the storm really yeah look I think the hardest thing about running a business is running a business there is just so much to it there are so many moving parts for every business that I have I have run or or started and I've been self-employed since I was 18 and I think this would be maybe my sixth business I have bootstrapped it right from the ground up with the lowest. I've never gone into debt and I've had the lowest amount of exposure. My first business was I started with $1,500. This business I started with $30,000 in the bank because money buys you time. It gave me a long time to be to not be successful before I had to be successful. <laughs> yes. um, so that's the way I view money and understanding your cash flow is critical for that. I guess I think there are two sides to it. One is bootstrap it. Don't spend money on stuff you don't need. You don't need fancy office furniture. The computer you've got is fine. The printer you've got is fine. Your needs and your your needing to impress or to do stuff is really low at the beginning. But the second you can work out what you're good at and what you're not good at, get other people to do the stuff that you're not good at. It will cost you less. They're expert at what they do. And they're going, you know, they need the work, and they and you'll get start to get good specialists. So, I guess I've understood that, uh, you know, there are lots of people who are very, very good at doing the things that I'm not good at doing, or don't have time to do as well as I would like. So, um, knowing your numbers is critical to running a good business and making really solid business decisions. It's extraordinary to me how many businesses fold who are highly profitable but don't understand their cash flow position. So I work with a, uh, a CFO and, and um, a bookkeeper as well and my accountant very closely to look at the direction of Cala Property. I have a monthly meeting with uh, my bookkeeper who you know, has all of the pipeline sales, the times I, I get paid in stages Mm-hmm. So when I get paid and how much money I'm going to have in the bank, inc- including all tax payments, all PAYG, etc. So um, I can look at that and make very solid business decisions. So um, just as an example, uh, last year I brought on two new um, business development managers uh, and I knew that I, they had six months before they needed to succeed before I needed to make a hard decision. Um, So, you know, that was a really, that was a good way of then working out what their KPIs were. So understanding that cash flow piece can inform every other aspect of the business. So things like, okay, a really great example is the, um, 
the stimulus package that the government has for the PAYG um, uh, remittance yeah. for small business, that's allowed me to give absolute certainty to all of my employees and to give pay rises to, to all of them um, because, you know, I'm getting that money back. I should pass that on. The whole point of that is to keep the money in the economy. And these are, you know, my, my employees are amazing and they, they totally deserve that. It was on the cards anyway. I've just been able to move that forward. But know that I've got enough cash flow to run without any sales whatsoever for, for 12 months. So that allows me to make some brave decisions when I can vaguely predict that this will be over in probably 12 months. I think we are going to be in isolation for a lot longer than we think. And I don't think we'll come out of isolation fully for longer than we expect either. But, you know, for my industry, um, you know, the major property markets in Australia are already undersupplied. People still need places to live. And there's a huge amount of certainty offered by the banks and the government, you know, in terms of the stimulus packages that they, they've announced that it's, you know, it's a great time to invest. And I have a lot of investors who are just going, show me where the opportunity is. Exactly. So that's been really good. So what's one mistake that you see people making over and over and over again when it comes to investing and how can they overcome that? Oh, look, there are lots of different mistakes. I, I think, you know, one of the most frustrating ones I hear is that, uh, you know, Jono told me that, you know, X, Y, Z is a bad idea or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, what does Jono do? Uh, he, you know, he owns a, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a car cleaning business. Great. Okay. So how informed is he to give you some information about property investment? So, you know, firstly, seek specialists. You know, you, you need, if you're going to do well in any investment, you, I, you need what we call the, the wealth creation team around you. So you need the financial planner, the accountant, the, the right insurances, property manager, um, inspe building inspector, all of those pieces you need, a good accountant. And we, we help curate that for our clients as little or as much as they need and we can liaise with the people they already have in place. But other than that, I think the biggest issue is, um, is trust. If you, if you, when you get to that point that you have found an advisor, you've got to them because you have been referred to them by someone you trust. You've been able to read trusted reviews you can get so much information online now that if you get to that point, you actually need to hand over trust at some point and go, okay, I, I, I understand you and why you're making these recommendations and I'm ready to go. Especially with property, there's such urgency on property because it's a really, it's a, it's a very strong segment of our economy. So there's a lot of deals taking place, off-market auctions are the most critical, you know, type of, uh, space but you know even in the investment space while I'm able to um, I have such good relationships with my builders and developers I'm able to provide a lot more time around needing to make that decision you do have to jump on opportunities when they arise because things are you know I've got a huge, like all these specials out at the moment things like 12 month rental guarantees at five percent that might not be around next month so or the month after so get your ducks get your ducks lined up, get them lined up first, and then you know get ready to go. Yeah, so be um, ready, be ready to invest yeah. when when the time's right. You know, or you're getting that best advice. Can't tell you how many times people come in to me on a Monday or whatever it is and say, 
oh, hey, I was at a barbecue on the weekend and somebody was telling me how fantastic their self-managed super fund is and they've got a yeah. property in it and they're buying another and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> Same as you said, you know, you get the right advice, build a team around you. I advocate that all of the time. Just make sure that you're getting the best advice um, that you can afford and that, you know, you, you've got that team of support around you and probably yeah. in the pandemic it's never... Uh, more important <laughs> yeah, and, and also make sure that they get on well and, and can talk to each other oh, well. yeah. there's yeah. nothing worse than having a hostile <laughs> cog in the machine who's just going what why aren't you advising the client like you know i i I'm, it's you know it, it's interesting to me how clients will come back to me to for questions that should be directed towards the solicitor or the mortgage broker or the financial planner or the accountant even and you know, and that's fine. It's easy enough to redirect. But, uh, you know, you want your client to have the same level of relationship that you have with them. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's actually a really interesting point about SMSFs because I think that's going to be a big, a big change next year. When people's uh, super balances recover and stock exchange recovers, a lot of people are going to go, go, well, that was really scary. If I was at a time where I was forced to retire, or I didn't get my, yeah. my um, job back, which we're seeing, you know, a lot of you know, 56-year-old men who are worried about not getting their jobs back. Uh, just as an example, people are more likely to go, well, property, I can control that asset class a lot better. It doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate in the same way. And um, once you get through that first cycle of um, the property clock, after that it's pretty much compound interest doing the heavy lifting and you, you're going to do well. So um, it's really, you've made a few really insightful comments uh, over the last few minutes, Susan. Know your numbers, get great advice, find advisors who work hand in glove together and get on. There's no, no point as a financial advisor me giving advice to someone that then they go off to their accountant or some other advisor and it doesn't really mesh together well. Um, it just yeah. doesn't work. And, you know, rely on your advisors, um, you know, I can think of an, an occasion in the past 12 years where, at, sorry, 12 months where a client of mine, we were talking about a particular strategy and when I called the accountant, they, oh, you can't do that. And it's like, well, you actually can and this is how you can do it and this is how yeah. it works. And so we had a conversation about it but they didn't want to come on board with it. And so in the end, you know, reluctantly I said, look, I think you should talk to a couple of other accountants um, yeah. here, here's some names go and have a talk to these people and let, let me know whether you think that strategy can work for you so yeah I think that's um, that's an interesting point that you make too because financial planners have grown a lot in terms of their training in terms of their scope and what area of compliance they fall under um, where the accountant might have been more responsible for that in the past so the accountant's knowledge in some areas has dropped while the financial planner has increased. So, you know, it can be conflicting. Um, I find the same thing with a, a similar kind of dichotomy, if you like, between, you know, the service that I provide and the insight that I provide compared to, say, buyer's agents. You know, buyer's agents um, are real estate agents. They, they don't have investment knowledge and that uh, background in understanding that you know, risk analysis, understanding investment horizons, uh, and really, I think, really going far deeper into understanding the opportunities over the risk, you know, which is my definition of investment. So 
So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, and I think, you know, buyer's agents have a, a massive value add for buying your own property because you can give them a list and they go and find you. They can save you so much time and money when it comes to buying your own property. So, but yeah, I just think that it's really important to look for people who are qualified in investments when you're looking at things like investments um, or, you know, SMSFs or that sort of stuff. It has, you know, lots of different criteria around it. And if you get this part wrong, you can really stuff it up, um, you know, especially things like getting the contract name right. You know, SMSFs are quite convoluted in their structure. And if you put the corporate trustee instead of the bear trust or this instead of that, you can totally, um, you know, you can be up for a huge um, stamp duty cost as you transfer title because the contract's been executed. So yeah, you have to really. There's a lot of a lot of moving parts to this, and you have to sure, get it right. It sure is. So, can you talk to the successes of some of your clients um, in building their investment portfolio? Yeah, sure. So I've got so, so many great stories, and I love all of my clients. Look, I, I guess it's easy to talk about the, the successes, so I will talk about that. But I think um, all, all the, the big stories, you know, the three properties in two years and, you know, 21% growth. But I, I guess the, you know, what I'm really most proud of is being able to help people that are absolutely clueless but need to do something. Um, and I've had a number lately. In fact, they've all, they, they've all been German, funnily enough. Um, who are incredibly risk averse, don't understand the Australian property landscape and really need a lot of care and a lot of help and a lot of explanation. And it's really, you know, finally after months and months and months of working with them, getting them across the line and, and really being able to de-risk this, this process as much as possible. So um, that's also where I think there's a lot of opportunity in the market now is, you know, I've been able to, negotiate things like extended finance clauses so if the property isn't built until november well you can still get out of the contract without putting any money down six weeks beforehand so you will know by then what the world looks like and if you can't proceed you don't have to um, with another client she um she was really really worried about it renting out and uh you know the the developer actually offered to rent out the property with all of the display home furniture because they need it for their next development and give her that rental guarantee at a higher at a higher rental return and for a longer period of time. Um, we've been able to ne negotiate um, 5% rental guarantees on new house and land build. You can't negotiate anything for investors on new house and land build. It's just impossible. It's hard enough to get stock as an investment uh, you know, specialist as it is, let alone having investments, so uh, having uh, incentives. So I really love those stories, but um, yeah. I guess one of my favourite clients is a young family, you know, a couple of two kids, and they have had, an like, my, my clients have had an average of 21% growth on their properties in the last 12 months. So that getting having that kind of success means that you're able to leverage that growth because you've got that equity created really quickly to springboard to the next property. I really do specialise in building property portfolios for my clients that are robust and high performing. So this client came to me three years ago and they first invested in a, an apartment near the Austin Hospital in Melbourne uh, in a suburb called Heidelberg. That's done exceptionally well. It's one of health and education are the fastest growing sectors in the, in the economy. 
mm -hmm. uh, education will take a hit with foreign foreign students obviously having all gone home and just trying to work out what happens there but health obviously has grown so that's been a great development um, from that they are able to invest in a house and land in Geelong which has seen incredible growth mainly due to four governments relocating to that area and they've just invested in again through their SMSF in a um, investment property on the Sunshine Coast which is seeing you know, the most amount of um, infrastructure investment that they've ever seen which is driving new jobs which drives population which drives demand so the benefit of, of that is the primary benefit, you know, security is the most important thing to me given the uncertainty that I've had in my life. So knowing that their future is taken care of is paramount. Um, but the choices that they've been able to make accordingly has, is, is really important. Um, you know, the mum's been able to reduce her hours at home and, and uh, work and, and spend more time with the kids because she knows that she's going to, going to have that that security in retirement. And also they've been able to, in the short term, minimise their tax, which is a big benefit of investing in property. Um, and they're also looking at what age they're going to retire. So they're not worried about having to work until they're 70. They can start to project when they're going to be able to retire. So now, could you get that financial freedom sooner? Yeah, exactly. So you've got the, those benefits. You're also able to leverage property in a way that you can't leverage any other asset class and these guys have a combined annual income of 180,000 but most of my investors earn under 100,000 so it doesn't have to be a rich person's pursuit you know you can and, and property is I just believe in it so much because it offers you that security that I, I just have never seen in another another asset class especially when you want to just do all of this, get all of this information at the beginning and then set and forget for, for the rest of your life. I, I've seen my dad do very well out of shares and another friend of mine, Neil, is fantastic at shares and portfolios, but they're on it every day. Every single day they're, they're monitoring it and, um, you know, I just, most people don't have time to do that or they don't even understand what they're looking at. So that's the benefit, I think, also of property and, um, you know, what I've been able to achieve for my clients. So we've talked already about, you know, the giving back, but how important is it to you and, you know, does it have to be costly? I, I, I feel like that's probably my purpose in life is to help where I can. I, I know adversity and I know I'm fairly resilient and I have a very strong sense of enough, which I've said already, you know, like I have enough of everything. I don't need lots of anything. So that, you know, that mindset makes it very easy for me to help other people. And it doesn't have to be costly. You know, what I'm finding, what I've found in the last couple of weeks is, you know, I've been able to help people with my business acumen and how they can reach new markets. Uh, I've got one client who she was able to pivot really quickly into Zoom and she's been able to get a much greater reach because she's no longer dependent on all meeting at this one venue in Surrey Hills. Yeah. She now has for this one hour a week, um, she's a choreographer and she does this online choreography and, you know, so she's now got this whole group including people from Darwin and Adelaide and Melbourne and, you know, and people around Sydney that might not otherwise get to Surrey Hills easily on Thursday at 6 o'clock. So, you know, that sometimes that's the help that you can provide is just what you know or the lessons that you've learnt. This doesn't have to be monetary. And certainly that's what these 
um, this series of podcasts is about for me. I mean, it's called Finesse Your Money, but we haven't talked a great deal about money specifically, but lots, yeah. of, lots of things, lots of really good information for people. So tell yeah. me, um, what are three things that people can be doing right now to get ready to invest when, when the time is right? Okay, so I guess the, um, the main thing is to, to know your numbers. Like this is, if you have a mortgage already, this is a really good time to refinance. There's a very good chance you, you'll be able to get a much lower rate than what you're on now. Uh, there are some banks that are, that are offering like $4,000 cashbacks for switching. So they're, they're things that I think you could look at right now. And that may free up equity that you have in your house that you might not know about. But banks' greatest, greatest um, competitive advantage is your apathy, okay? Most people do not re review their mortgage rates every year or, you know, even every three years, and you should. Refinancing is not necessarily the answer, but just even being able to negotiate with your bank. A lot of banks will negotiate, uh, and then you don't have to start your 30-year term again. You can, you can just re refinance, like renegotiate within the, in the structure you've already got. Also consider going interest only. Banks are very forgiving at the moment and will allow you to go interest only really quickly as opposed to, you know, a lot of um, lenders will happy, happily do interest only on investment property but only for a year or two years or five years while they're waiting for that rental growth. So know your numbers. Like that is easily the best thing that you can do. And if you are in a position to invest, if you do have a solid business or a solid job, consider doing it because I have never been able to have as much certainty around property as I do right now. And, um, you know, they're, they're really, really worthwhile things to consider. Um, and the other thing too is that there's certainty around the incentives that are going on. If for some reason you've got a tenant in who couldn't afford to pay the rent, you, you, you're in a position where you can pass on that, um, you know, that payment holiday from the bank. So, and in doing so, you're going to have a very loyal tenant and someone who's going to yes. really look after their property. Mm. So I can see a lot of opportunity there at the moment. Um, and the main thing to think about is that this is a virus. It's not a war. It's not a depression where the end is not known. We do know that there is a vaccine, you know, being discovered now. There are antivirals and other treatments that are being developed um, there is one has actually been approved. Five others at the moment are um, still in the testing phase. But these are existing drugs that have been used to treat other things that may help the treatment of corona. So all of those, and also antibody, the antibody pinprick treatment. You know, when we know who has the antibodies, they're the people who can go out freely into the community. So that's, that will help get the economy back on track as well if we have people who are more operational than others. So, you know, I think that the interest rates are incredibly low. There's a huge amount of uh, opportunity and property is a long game. This virus is short. Yeah, and absolutely. in 12 months' time, we will be in a very different position. And in six months' time, we, we will be. Um, and, you know, housing, uh, as you know, I just safest houses is a real thing. Yeah. It's a great time for it. So where can we find you online, Susan? And um, have you got any go-to resources that you could share with our listeners today and, you know, any spoilers of things that you've got coming up that sure. don't involve yeah. a trip to Jakarta? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first thing is anyone is welcome to ring me directly. Um, my phone number is 0407 465 850. 
as you've just heard, I'm happy to pick up your phone now, the phone call now, and I'll actually talk to you. Um, it's really easy for me to arrange a quick Zoom call and just have a quick chat and see whether we need to move to the discovery session. And, you know, my, my, my online resources are fairly standard. You know, my calaproperty.com.au is a great resource. Um, my Facebook page, just search for Color Property. My LinkedIn page. I'm also working on a, um, a closed Facebook group called Building Your Dreams. So just keep that in mind. Um, it, it is actually operational yet, but there's not much content. It's what we're, we're still working on developing. But that will be um, where I go to now to really educate and to talk to investors about um, what's going on in the market, to do quick video links and also um, to, to show various investment offers. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And, and in, in terms of uh, what's exciting for Color Property, um, I'm currently working with the data scientists to produce something really special. Um, that is going to transform the way we make property decisions. And that is Amazing. so exciting. So, um, I, that will, yeah, that's in progress. So that is going to be an incredible thing. And But, yeah, regardless, I've got the research methodology and I really want to help as many people as I possibly can. It's a free service. Give me a call. Thank you so much, Susan. It's been just so insightful and uh, I, I've just got a lot out of today and I'm sure that my listeners have. So thank you again. And um, I will drop those links in with this podcast. So thank you. And uh, we will It's great to be able to offer some, um, some background and some framework around such certain times, you know, uncertain times, you know, to hopefully give people... It's something to breathe about, you know, that this is going to end and we're going to be fine. Great. Thanks again, Susan. Bye for now. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.